0: Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's in kinesiology, and I'm currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant and a birth fit coach. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as a
1: mama to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, BirthFit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the owner of Radical Roots. Head over to MyRadicalRoots.com to find recipes, insights, and nutrition consulting. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here.
0: Okay, welcome to episode 12 of the Modern Mamas podcast, Blah Blah. We have Liz Wolf with us again um, because we have so much to talk about. We're going to be discussing nutrition and skin care and then um, possibly some parenting questions that we had from the last episode too. So we are going to have a ton of fun, which we always do with Liz. Um, but first, let's just check in. We'll check in with Loris, and she's the one who has all the exciting things going on in
1: her life. <laughs> How are you doing, friend? I am doing well. Evie hit five weeks yesterday, which will, once this airs, will be a, a while ago. But um, there's definitely, definitely like a significant shift in like her alertness, and throughout the day, she was awake a lot more and actually wanted to be engaged a lot more, which is fun. And it's fun for my husband because now he feels a little bit more participatory, like she acknowledges him a little bit, which is very cool. Um, Sleep is still going well. Mastitis is gone. Yay. I did not have to go on antibiotics, so that's huge. That was that was a nightmare. I'm not gonna lie. That was like <laughs> worse than immediate postpartum. Um, it was awful. So I'm, I think I have the tools and tricks and knowledge now to not let that happen again. If I get a clogged duct, I will be on it way quicker. And I'm team no bra right now. So just <laughs> letting it off. <laughs> Which is awesome. Um yeah, so that's kind of the latest with us. Uh things are good. Summer in Santa Cruz is awesome. Walk the beach and and all that. I I'm very, very we're happy. So yeah, how about you? I have no cool things going on. <laughs> you sound
2: like me. That's what I always say to Diane.
0: I know, I'm like, I think I just think my life is a lot cooler
1: than it is.
0: No, your life is awesome. (laughs) I don't live in Santa Cruz and it is hot as balls. Can you say that on a non-explicit podcast? (laughs) It's hot. um, And so we don't really do much except go to the pool, um, keep the kids alive. That's about it. Um, Can I
2: ask you a question, Jess, about the pool?
0: Yeah. Did you guys do
2: swimming lessons?
0: We did. We are doing them with Bear. We haven't done any with Camille. With Bear, he did two weeks and he's not swimming. Let's just say that. Um, he still well, has. What did you do ISR? What kind of swimming? No, we did? didn't, which I've looked into that. Um,
2: and so I'm, I'm not sure if he's too old to do that, do you think, or no? Well,. They say no, but I, and I think ISR is amazing and probably necessary in a lot of circumstances, but my big issue with it was once they're a little older, like probably after 18 months, it's it seems like there's definitely some trauma, not trauma, because that's a strong word, but there's some real like intellectual fear involved with oh, yeah. the process. And the ISR folks kind of say, you know, oh, it's just it's just crying the instructor helps them get through it this and that but to me it feels a little bit like they haven't built in that kind of respectful um interaction where they where they build up and they let the kid know what's going on and what they're doing they just kind of throw them into it and I'm sure now I've started a controversy watch. among no. ISR people but
1: I know yeah, I, I, we I totally did a thing with ISR um yeah. like fundraising thing and so I went out with uh with for work and like we filmed and stuff and I'm not gonna lie I had a hard time watching it yeah yeah. It brings up like it's like oh my gosh, <laughs> just yeah. watch it. it. It's hard to watch. So I, I don't know if we'll do it or not. I think it makes a lot of like I understand the benefits. I think it's pretty incredible and it could be life saving, But also it's like well, potentially and maybe there's studies on this. What is it doing on the opposite end, like emotionally? I don't think they are. There are studies, studies on that
2: in ISR. And I would love to. I would love to see it again. Like not insulting the 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 means to get that done. But Mm -hmm. there's got to be, you know, I'm not even saying middle ground. There's like lessons that you blow bubbles and sing songs in the pool. And those are pretty worthless. They just make kids think water is fun. And that's not helpful when they're in the backyard by themselves and they've, you know, escaped in the pools right there. But then this other extreme of like ISR, make the kids safe in the pool, drown proof, et cetera. There has to be, we could just move that a teeny tiny, teeny tiny bit to the right where we also were caring for the, um, need of a child to be respected as a whole human and, and spoken to about what's about to happen to them and why. And then once that happens, you can deal with the fact that it's hard and the kids crying and they're releasing in that way. But I didn't get the feeling from my local instructor that it was something that they actually cared about. It was more like, yeah, they'll get over it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And they'll be drown-proof.
1: My best friend did it, and they have, they have a four, almost five-year-old, and he's, like, out on the surfboard with Dad in the ocean and just That's super water-safe and super confident in the water. I don't know amazing. if it was just ISR. It was, like, Dad's a surfer, so he's been in the water. He's yeah. been on the beach since he was little. And I think maybe it also depends on the kid and, like, their yeah. mindset at and that And moment. the instructor. yeah, And the yeah. instructor. And then even Mom and Dad, like— telling, like you said, explain to them maybe on the way there. And some of that comes from the parent too, maybe. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I re- distinctly remember when I was like three or four getting thrown into the pool at daycare, um, cause we had a pool there. I remember being traumatized. I can swim now. Yeah. I don't even really remember how I learned how to swim at that point, but I do remember that. But with bears, they wouldn't let us watch. Um, they wouldn't let us be near them because I guess I understand. I, I don't know. They didn't want the kiddos to see us and want to, like, get out of the pool. But Bear was very, like, excited about it. On the other side of it, there were, like, kids there just losing their mind. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, these kids are not ready. Like, they didn't want to be in the pool. They were trying to climb out, and the instructors like, running over and bringing him back. I was like, I don't know if I can watch this, honestly, but Bear was okay. Like, he was excited. And he, like, he can jump off the diving board, like the big kid diving board. He can like swim with daddy without his like floaties and stuff but he really can't like physically swim yet so he's Mm -hmm. very comfortable with the water which I guess is good so I don't know have fun they were like he needs more like more swim lessons I was like "Eh, I don't know
1: we'll see
2: Fun. Stuff. Sorry, I totally, totally put us on a tangent already, but that's, that's
1: what I do. I love it. People can benefit from that in some way, I'm
0: sure. <laughs> but, um, so we'll get started so we can jump yeah. in and get all the goods. Um, Laura, you want to introduce Liz again for people that don't know her? <laughs> yeah, or
1: people who didn't listen to the last one. Right. If you haven't listened to episodes, I always gotta check, episodes eight and nine, I cannot recommend enough that you go back. We talk all about aware parenting. It's really awesome. So much good stuff. We had to split it into two. Um, oh, goodness. But um, I'm going to reintroduce Liz. Liz is a health and wellness writer and nutritional therapy practitioner with a passion. Oh, Jess is gonna a passion right. for
0: real food. This is real life. Folks, real food, safe skin care, and healthy babies and families. Her work includes the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Eat the Yolks, and the Purely Primal Skin Care Guide. And she co-created the online pregnancy and parenthood community, baby making, and beyond, which is set to launch in 2017, which we're in. She blogs at at RealFoodLiz.com and co-hosts the Bounce Bites podcast with Diane. In her spare time, she chases her rambunctious toddler around her hobby farm. Um, We're also having Liz on again because we really just couldn't fit all the goodness into one episode. Or actually two, since her last interview ended up being two. So we're going to go for a whole... A third one, maybe four. We'll see if we get crazy. But today, Liz is going to be answering her questions, mostly about nutrition and skincare. We got a lot of um, follower questions, listener questions about that, um, pregnancy and postpartum specifically. Um, and then we have some leftover parenting questions that we were hoping we're going to tackle at the end of the episode if we have time. So we will try and be as succinct as we possibly can, but I'm not making any promises. Me neither. Um, And we'll see how it goes. But Laura, you said did you want to you had a special question you wanted to ask? Oh, I was just thinking it'd be
1: fun because I my goodness, she keeps popping off. There you go. Um because on the balance bites podcast, I love the what are you digging late lately or what are you into? So I thought we could do that. Maybe just like a brief one, starting with Liz. Liz, what are you into as of late? (laughs) Podcast exception wait what was the last thing you said podcast said on- podcast in- inception like the balance bites podcast inside the modern mama's podcast inside.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh shoot well orange county housewives just came back and so did game of thrones so i feel like my interests are kind of narrow right now right but i'm in here's what i'm into receiving gifts via text message from jess that's the number one thing i'm into. She's literally like the gift master on fire. <laughs> uh, amazing. So, but I would say one of the things I really like right now is, um, master class with master John. It's, mm. um, Chris master John, who is a, PhD in nutrition science. He's brilliant. He's um, a huge contributor to the whole food, you know, paleo community. He left academia where he was an adjunct or an assistant professor, I believe, and basically started putting together nutrition courses called Masterclass with Master John. You can get them information on them at uh, chrismasterjohnphd.com. He basically is putting together the curriculum that he felt should have been in academia, but wasn't. Um, and they're phenomenal. He breaks down all of this amazing nutritional biochemistry into really like digestible pieces. And it's just, it's been phenomenal. Like so many things that were, I thought were way over my head and he breaks them down and and enables me to understand them. So it's for everybody and most of it is free. So you can check that stuff out. I'm loving that.
0: I love that. You said that was a podcast or that was just online?
2: So okay, Chris Masterjohn has a podcast, and I'm forgetting what it's called because you just changed it from the Daily Lipid Podcast to I think it's maybe it's Mastering Nutrition or something oh, like yeah, that. I think you're right. It's a pun. Do you get it? Yes. <laughs> <Now speaking>. And <laughs> so he kind of not repurposes, but it's all kind of connected. What he talks about on his podcast and his current lesson and masterclass with master John, I did go ahead and pay for a membership for some more robust content, but you can get a ton of it for free on his Facebook page and on his YouTube channel. So do you get like a certification after that, or is it just purely for like self-development? It's purely self-development, but he should absolutely create a certification. And if he's not working on that currently, I would be shocked because he seems to have a lot of stuff in the pipeline. Right.
1: Cool. Awesome. Laura, you got anything going you're interested in? Yeah. A couple things. First off, this isn't even a shameless plug. This is an actual thing I'm interested, but the (laughs) the paleo Valley organ complex, um, I'm loving it. I really think it's played a huge role in my postpartum, um, experience and recovery and like mindset and all of it. So that's huge. And here is a plug. You guys can use modern mama's podcast. Mamas, no modern mama's for 30% off any order there. So that's been huge. I love it. Um, and then the birth fit, um, postpartum programming. It's just online programming. I've been, I'm on week three. I started at two weeks out because I was feeling really good. A lot of it's just breath work. Um, and today I did like some floor presses with 15 pound dumbbells and I do it at home and it just feels really good to move and to take like 20 minutes for myself. And, uh, so those are the two things that I'm really into right now. Cool. You guys
0: are like, (laughs) I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Like you're into like educational stuff. I'm like over here binge watching Big Little Lies and uh,
2: (laughs) crime podcasts. I'm I'm mostly into like Housewives and Game of Thrones. Like that's let's be really clear about
1: that. But the Uh, other day I listened to to half a podcast. There you go. There you go. We are binge watching The Office. If that makes you feel better. Good. Okay.
0: I feel normal then. But Big Little Lies (laughs) that show I read the book. And I love all the actors, actresses, well, actors, too, all the people in it. The music is, like, phenomenal. Um,
2: And have you watched it, Liz? I have. It was really good. And I hadn't read the book, so the ending was a surprise for me. And I was like, whoa. Right? I'm hoping it, I mean, I'm guessing it's
0: going to end similarly to the book. So I'm hoping it's, like... I don't know. I'm hoping it, it kind of follows that pathway. So yeah, I'm into that. I'm, I'm listening. So a listener, I had like an open podcast call like suggestions and a listener recommended this podcast called Up and Vanished. Oh my God. I am seriously obsessed with it. So it's basically like this guy, he's a documentary filmmaker and he decides to do a podcast like tracking a cold case. And so he's getting like all the evidence. This case is like 12 years old. Um, And basically, I'm in the episode right now. This is, it's not current yet, but they've, like, arrested a suspect, two suspects um, in the murder that has not been solved for, like, 12 years. And so it is so fascinating. Um, It's crazy. So I drive around all day from my job, and I just listen to that podcast, like, all day. I had to take a break. So I'm also reading the books that Liz recommended on her last uh, on our last podcast, they're so good, but they're also, she is like 100% correct when she says there is no joy. Yeah. And so I personally, like I'm halfway through book two and I was like, I need to take like a little, (laughs) little break so that I can just like get my mind right and come back to finish it. But so good, such a good recommendation. So
2: so good. I can't even tell you exactly why they're good other than, they're just so robust and you just get stuck in them. But yeah, yeah. no joy, none.
1: <laughs> so that's what I, is it too. like uh Downton Abbey? I don't know if there are any connection there, but I loved that show. No, no. Cause that show made me happy even yeah. though it was sometimes. super serious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's like, so happy that.
0: it's like you're waiting the characters in the book, you get so into them and then yeah. you're waiting for something Like it, it it seems like something good's finally going to happen. Like a love interest is going to pan out or I don't know, something good's going to happen. And then it always goes
1: to stuff.
0: Like it always goes to shiz and you're just like, Oh my God,
2: how can
1: this, how can this be life? And it is, That would drive me nuts. I don't know if I can read it
2: because if you start, you have to finish. Yeah. It's like orange
1: is the new black, like things start and you're like, okay, this is going to work out. And then something awful happens or I have to leave the room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Good (laughs) question, Laura.
0: I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll take all the credit (laughs) for that question. (laughs) I mean, I guess, thank you, Diane and Liz. Yeah. All right. Um, All right. Let's jump in. So first section is about, um, nutrition. So we'll just kind of go through. You ready, Liz? Ready. Ready. Knowledge bombs. Okay. So, have heart. Sarah asked. She would love to hear your thoughts on nutrition after the first year, as the baby begins to self wean. They specifically suspect lactose intolerance because they had like projectile vomiting after eating yogurt, and she's a little stressed about having like the right protein fat intake. So, we talked a little bit about this via text. Um, So, I am so curious as to your whole recommendation on this too?
2: Well, first I want to say, I love how this is my huge concern too. And I love how people in our community are so detail oriented and concerned about this, but I just want to remind everybody that there are many like thriving children who were literally weaned onto macaroni and cheese. Right. So, (laughs) you know, don't worry too much, but the weaning period I've found is like an amazing time to just stack all the weird stuff because eventually as they get older and they get introduced to more fruit and, you know, treats here and there, it's going to, they're going to be a lot less interested in piles of spinach and liver and fish eggs and things like that. That's not true for everybody, but those are the unicorns. I know a couple of unicorns, particularly in the parenthood group, whose kids are like four and all they want to eat is liver, fish eggs, and, you know, bone marrow, but that's just... (laughs) That's just not the norm. So what I love to do during the weaning time, I think fish eggs are amazing. I think uh, liver is great. Um, I think, you know, just give them piles of steamed spinach, anything you can think of. Whipped bone marrow is fantastic. Kind of the weird stuff. And especially as you're still nursing, you're still going to be getting your baby a lot of healthy carbs through breast milk. So... I didn't worry as much about introducing starchy carbs. I know a lot of people like to start with sweet potato and things like that, but I don't know that that's something you have to be really, really focused on. Um, right at the beginning there, that can kind of come in over time. That Please don't take that as like Liz Wolf said, don't give your kids sweet potato. That's not what I mean. But you can start with the the weird stuff. And the benefit to that is we do have some literature that indicates that Kids that are "quote" weaned with the the baby led weaning process, which generally involves like not doing baby food and you know letting kids kind of grasp and figure out what they want to eat on their own and how to eat it, kind of feed themselves, things like that. They do have a higher prevalence of um, low iron and low zinc status, and that could very well be from the fact that the general interpretation of baby led weaning is not like like the majority of people who are doing it are not like paleo people. They're not evolutionary health types. So they're not starting their kids on liver and heart and, and fish eggs and egg yolks and stuff like that. They're starting their kid with avocado and sweet potato and really kind of a, there's a dearth there of iron and zinc rich foods. So right.
0: um,
2: That's my that's my thought on that. And remember breast milk is like Seven. I don't know what the the progression is um, between like day one and through the first year of the protein content of breast milk, but it's certainly not much more than ten percent of um, calories from protein. And and I think we folks need to worry less about protein, which kind of is nice because you can focus on healthy fats and fibrous veggies and um, the the weird stuff without feeling like oh my gosh they're not eating you know right. a hunk of hunk of protein, like a typical paleo eating adult would do. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Okay. As you start solids, something we found happening was that the poop changes so quickly that it can kind of scare your child, the sensation of it coming out. And the two things that we did, it doesn't mean your child is constipated. Like they they might cry and they might even cry a lot or scream while they're pooping, which is absolutely heartbreaking. But if the stool is soft enough, generally, and, you know, there's no blood in the stool and whatever, generally, I think it's just the discomfort with that new sensation coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of talked our child through it. And um, I guess if this child is rounding a year, then they're probably not just starting solids, but um, this is probably around six months old. Um, Talked her through it and also doing a lot of naked time because I think the sensation of like the new... The different form stool kind of coming into the diaper can be a little strange and scary (laughs) on the butt
0: it kind of (laughs) like something in there
2: (laughs) so it's weird but yeah what do you you guys have any thoughts on this
0: well I read and actually I think I got this suggestion from your parenthood group um someone suggested super nutrition for babies um and it's that do what
2: can't remember who wrote that. I can't
0: remember who wrote it off the top of my head either, but I think she had some pretty good, like, credentials. Um, But hers was um, a lot of focus on superfoods. So it was, like, the marrow, the fish eggs, the bone broth, the even, like, sauerkraut. But it gives you, like, timelines on best time to introduce some of those things. They weren't really, like – it was more, like, baby-led weaning, but not necessarily, like, Um, Mm full-on. And then – you know, also kind of echoing what you said, they weren't really suggesting like starchy carbs at first. Which I think they said that babies typically will can digest like animal products a little bit easier than like starchy carbs. And so she was like, most people will introduce like sweet potatoes as a first food or whatever. But t- technically, that's a little bit rougher on their their digestive system. And you can
2: kind of yay or nay that. But um, I. Yeah, so I think that that's generally what I've thought as well. But there was some really interesting stuff, I think, at, oh gosh, what website was it? The Science of Mom, maybe. But basically, the gist of it was that we actually, babies actually can digest starches a lot earlier than we think they can. Okay. But at the same time, it doesn't need to comprise the majority of their diet.
1: Right. Yeah. Because right. I
2: feel
0: like a lot of people don't introduce meats early on. I mean, I feel like oh, that's yeah. like late, way later in the game, but not necessarily yeah. maybe backed with
2: science for any reasoning.
1: You know what she I mean? There's no Megan, Megan Garcia. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's who I was going to say next. I was yeah, going to say she I has really, some really great
1: research. Yeah. And she talks about just like giving them a piece of grass-fed steak, like when you're eating it, if they reach for it, even if they don't have teeth just sucking on it, um, mm-hmm. they get, they get some of the iron and they don't have to digest the protein necessarily, but they're getting some of the good nutrients. And she made like some really cool, Bone marrow banana fritters, and she posts all this stuff, and I'm like, man, I hope that you know. And her kids are still eating that way. I know her; she's got like a four or five year old who still takes that stuff down, so it's kind of cool. That
2: is cool. That's where my I I just suck. I'm not good at making things taste good. My kid would eat just raw bone marrow, or not raw, but just straight up bone marrow at the beginning. But now she's like, Mom, this needs to taste a little bit better. <laughs> she Doesn't say that, this? but I can tell us what she's thinking.
0: This again regular bone marrow. Um, what about like regular bone marrow? Yeah. What about, um, I don't know if she was wanting this too, because I know a lot of people and myself included around about a year, even if you are going to continue nursing, you know, you may need to start introducing animal or nut based milks, um, to supplement at daycare or, you know, whatever, if you're going to stop pumping, do you have any like general recommendations on that. We did gra- raw milk with our son. Um, and I know everyone's got their own two cents on that.
2: I know daycare is usually require you send milk, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's a big concern for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about basically like whatever they tolerate best. Mm-hmm send it with them. I I do actually, I like animal milk because it does have vitamins A and D and a little bit of vitamin K and those are all really important calcium utilization cofactors and generally nut milk just doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that's fine if you've got an overall nutrient dense diet with a lot of preformed vitamin A and enough vitamin D and a little vitamin K, it's probably fine. I don't know that it really matters. So you just kind of send them with what they tolerate the best. Um, A lot of folks will say like milk is not necessary. I don't know that we have a lot of really good data on that. I mean, we have a lot of people saying there's more calcium in 100 grams of broccoli than there is in 100 grams of whatever else. And I'm like, okay, but yeah, 100 grams of broccoli is a lot more broccoli than, you know, like a piece of cheese. Right. So I think there's some like some. I don't know if it'd be logical fallacies kind of floating around in that way of thinking, but I, you know, if your kiddo tolerates some dairy, I, I think it's a good source of calcium. It's not absolutely necessary, depending on the the backdrop of the rest of the diet. But you know, give it a try, and if you can work it in, great. If not, no big deal. Pick something else and keep the rest of the diet solid. We do goat ah. cheese. We Hi, baby go- girl. <laughs> goat
0: cheeses, I you love said. It.
2: Yeah. So we do goat cheese sticks. We haven't done any milk. We tried camel milk, but my kid was just not interested in it. Um, and I was never a good pumper. So once we weaned, I didn't have any breast milk left. Good pumpers and my breasts refused to cooperate. Um, even with the spectra, which is so much better than the Medilla. I think Love it so much better. Love it. Um, well, how can you love a breast um, <laughs> and love it more than the alternative? I, I have a lot of quality so, time with my breast pump. So uh, we have that relationship.
1: That I so think we need a whole podcast on boobs because I'm dealing with one bigger than the other and like trying <laughs> to get less milk in one and, and, and pumping. <laughs> so I was fun. pumping and I'm like, I shouldn't pump because I'm already overproducing. Yeah. Fun stuff.
2: Super and fun. does EB have a preference for one breast over the other?
1: Yeah, they're right. Yeah. And I think, I think I did that because, um, I start, well, maybe not, but my left nipple is inverted from the beginning. So that's been a challenge, but then also like side lice nursing, I would uh-huh. be like, okay, overnight I'm, cause she's between my husband and I, I'm just going to sideline nurse with my right. And then I'll pump my left in the morning. And I think that caused some issues and that I get them. I got the mastitis on my right. So now my right is like, Gets engorged and all that. And my left is just perfect. I mean, it produces the right amount and it doesn't get engorged. <laughs> like so, best boob left <laughs> boob. Yeah, I love you left boob. I wish Evie loved you just as much. <laughs> <laughs> so working on it. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> oh god. Cool. Anyways, I feel like so we- I know I'm scary. I ate it through. That was like probably a big portion of my calorie intake through pregnancy because I could tolerate it so well. I was taking in raw cheese, sheep's milk cheese, goat cheese. She doesn't seem to have a problem with it. And I agree with Liz that I think if you can tolerate it, I think it's a pretty nutrient-dense food that's very well-balanced yeah. too. It's got yeah. protein. It's got fat. Um, so just my two cents on dairy. I don't think it needs to be an end-all be-all. No one gets dairy. Goodness, <laughs> she says. Yeah, I love it. <laughs>
2: Give me some right now. Oh, right yeah. boob. Right boob, mom. Right boob, please. All right, onward.
1: <laughs> Laura, you want to take this one or you want me to keep
0: going since you've got baby girl?
1: I can. Well, this one's very similar. I mean, it's also about f- after the first year. And uh, Lana and Calvin – wants to know um if you supplement if you suggest or recommend supplementing any supplements or and or dha gosh that's so hard
2: um i've read a lot of the literature on this stuff and there's just never like full clarity for me like i vacillate between we need lots of extra everything because this world is so toxic and the literature seems to suggest this and then on the other side i'm like No, people just need to eat real food, and we're not studying people who eat, you know, Braunschweiger, liverwurst, fish eggs, sardines, salmon, and all that. So it's tough. And really more out of just sheer laziness than anything, I can tell you that we generally don't supplement. We have, and I'll share what we did and what we do when we sometimes supplement. But my kid seems to be pretty freaking smart and pretty (laughs) amazing, and we haven't supplemented much regularly. So that's... That's been nice to discover. Um, But really, I think what we focused on over time is a good probiotic, not even necessarily every day. She was born via C-section, so we did focus on that quite a bit in the beginning. Um, I would do, after they turn one, you can do um, some, I think after six months, you can do elderberry as long as there's no honey in it. But after one, we started doing this amazing um, elderberry honey uh, concoction that we get from mindfully made, I believe she's going to start shipping it eventually. Um, we did some cod liver oil, some of the Rosita brand cod liver oil, probably starting around eight months and particularly when we would travel with her. Um, she weaned onto broth instead of water. Now she mostly does water, but she'll do broth a little bit and a ton of sunshine. And then liverwurst slash Braunschweiger slash head cheese from U.S. Wellness Meats, which is like my absolute, like my pride is when she will just take a big old bite out of a hunk of liverwurst and I can, (laughs) you know, I could barely stomach it, but I think that stuff is well worth like introducing them to the weird meats. So that's all they're going to want because that's what she's used to. Right. What do you do the elderberry for? So, immune support, and so we'll do it kind of cyclically, um, particularly when I know something's going around or um, during the winter when she needs a little bit of extra immune support. We'll do like a tablespoon, up to a tablespoon of elderberry in like acute circumstances if she's actually seeming to get sick. We'll also sometimes put a little drop of like liposomal vitamin C into her water if that is the case. Um, And then just every once in a while, I'll just dose her up with some elderberry. Just She likes it. It's like a little bit of juice, and, and it's good to go.
0: And how do you get her, or did you get her, or still, if you do it, to do the fish oil is it the actual like
2: fish oil or is it a capsule? Or I mean, it's the actual fish oil. So, I we did the cod liver oil because I'm she still will eat sardines and salmon, and I feel like she gets a, a pretty good intake of DHA just on a regular basis. Um, so, we did the cod liver oil as a source of DHA and a source of vitamins A and D um, as kind of like a concentrated whole food source of it rather than taking isolated DHA, which I'm still. Not entirely sure about. If I did take DHA or if I gave her DHA, it would be algal DHA um, because that's preferentially taken up um, to benefit the brain. But um, for the cod liver oil, we would just, it wasn't the fermented stuff. We just put it in a little dropper. And she she was younger, when she was under a year old, she'd just take it. Like she never questioned anything that we gave her. (laughs) She'd just open her mouth and take it. How early did you start that? Oh, I think we started probably at eight months. Okay probably around there when we were traveling. That's when we started it. Cause I, it was our first time on an airplane and I was feeling a little, uh, vulnerable about that. Um, but the one thing you want to make sure, like you can give them a dropper, but you also want to be really careful that you're not like putting it down their throat. Like you don't want them to aspirate on the cod liver oil. We just kind of put a little bit under, um, the tongue and she would kind of work around the, her mouth and swallow it. We did
1: oral vitamin K instead mm-hmm. of the shock. No, so we did something very similar. I just kind of put it like right inside her bottom lip, and then she like made a face and took it down. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's it's like in there. They don't they don't spit it out. Like they'll it'll it'll go down. Yeah, yeah. awesome. That's how we did it, and if we didn't to, keep up with that. I
0: was so. going to say, if you had to pick one thing, like just one supplement to keep it easy, because I'm all about like I don't want to take 15 different things or pay for yeah. that or try and get my kid to do that. What would you re- say?
2: That's really hard. I guess I would, uh, that's really hard. <laughs> I, I think would it, probably say cod liver oil. If you could only do one thing, okay. I would probably say really good cod liver oil. I order mine from corganic.com. They have a couple different
1: that's kinds. I, I just got it. Good. And I'm taking it, and I wonder how, if how much, if any, she's getting through me. My my, yeah. um, her her doctor said to take. I should be giving her vitamin D, and I think I'm just gonna up mine. I don't really want to yeah. give her anything yet. She's so new. But what are your thoughts on that? Vitamin D is one I see a lot of questions about. Mm-hmm. We didn't get one specific, but
2: that's a tough one. So we kind of like for baby making and beyond, at least at the beginning, we're gonna toe the party line and just say mom can take 6400 IU of vitamin D per day to pass the appropriate amount on through breast milk. But what we're working on is really parsing through the literature to try and find out, first of all, if we should have any concerns about the amount of vitamin D that's passed into the breast milk, if that happens at the expense of any of the other fat-soluble vitamins. Because we know there's synergy between the fat-soluble vitamins. And we also know that we could be in for a little bit of a problem with this huge focus on vitamin D. Like exclusive of all of the other nutrients that are synergistic with it. Um, People are hammering vitamin D and over time, I'm really, I talked to Chris Masterjohn about this in a really early podcast actually. And he was like, yeah, this could very well set us up for some issues down the road. So I too think it's probably best to um, pass the vitamin D through breast milk rather than directly supplementing a baby. But we are working on just really going through the literature on this to To be able to point out any potential flaws for people to talk to their healthcare practitioners about, because I do think um, that the whole point of vitamin D supplementation is to prevent rickets. And yeah, that's of course really important, but that's a vastly different thing than, you know, what most of us are dealing with, you know most of us don't have that concern. Most of us are getting in the sun. Most of our babies are getting sun. So we're going to continue to toe the party line with that and just basically say that nursing moms can take 6,400 IU of vitamin D to pass the right amount to their baby through their breast milk. Um, But we're also going to probably recommend that folks keep an eye on their other fat-soluble vitamin intake, that you monitor your own blood levels of vitamin D while you're nursing to make sure that you stay sufficient because vitamin D is depleted by stress as well. So you don't need to lose any more than you have to. Um, And formula-fed babies, I think by law, formula has to contain a certain amount of vitamin D. Um, So you are directly supplementing um, babies in that case. But um, I'm probably getting a little too detailed for baby making and beyond. And, you know, there are bajillions of babies that thrive without vitamin D, with Mm -hmm. vitamin D, on formula with vitamin D, et cetera.
0: Right. We didn't supplement Bear with vitamin D. I just. I didn't supplement AJ either. I I just upped my intake because we breastfed till like 22 months ish. Um, And then by that time, he was able to, like, eat a lot of, you know, foods that. Had it,
2: um, and you do transmit it. To, sorry, you weren't yeah. done. Go. No, go oh ahead. Gosh. No, you're fine. I get so excited when I talk go for to it. you guys. <laughs> you're transmit. So you are during the third trimester, I believe, transmitting vitamin D to your baby. So there's something to kind of like mom stores influencing baby stores at birth and things like that. So you can like get enough sun when you're pregnant to the degree that you can. So your body transmits it and maybe it transmits it throughout gestation. I'm not even sure, but I I thought it was the third trimester, but um, mom's sufficiency during gestation is important as well. Like whether or not baby gets outside, I think it was really ideal for us because I gave birth in the spring and then that was leading into the summer. So not only was that like not the height of flu season, um it was also we had an opportunity to go outside very consistently build up our vitamin d stores going into the winter so there are a ton of individual things to take into account
0: right great that's perfect i love it i love that we're getting into the weeds too um it's great um so next question anna elizabeth 2812 is, okay, so she says, as a breastfeeding mom with leaky gut and hashi- Hashimoto's, I would like to know if the foods I react to would cause digestive upset for my little one. My thinking is that if I am producing antibi- antibodies against that food, wouldn't the same be passed to her? And if she eats a non-compliant food, could her baby have adverse reactions due to her intolerance?
2: Do you guys have any experience
1: with this? I don't. I don't. Um, oddly, I was incredibly sensitive to garlic and onions during pregnancy, and that and I did wasn't before, and it has continued during postpartum. And she is too. So like the liverwurst and like cumin, like heavy spices, the liverwurst from U.S. wellness meats, I ate that, I got gassy. She got really gassy. Oh man! So, I don't know. I mean, it's not like um. So for for us, garlic and onions seem to be, or any foods that are heavily spiced, seem to be an issue for both of us. And I find it interesting that that's what I was most affected by during pregnancy. And that's what seems to impact her the most. So
2: I don't know exactly how these antibodies work. IgE antibodies are like the histamine producing reactions. I don't know the science of how IgG antibodies are passed through breast milk. I could probably Google it super duper fast, but I'm not that quick. (laughs) Um, But, but yes, I mean, in general, I think I've heard this from a lot of moms is that there are certain foods that just baby can't tolerate. I mean, so yes, but is the question is like, I guess just the answer is yes. Like what else, what else can we tell her how to deal with that, I guess, or yeah, how to manage her food intake to ensure she gets the most nutrition
0: right. that she possibly can? I think it's, it's the same. Even if you're taking out the leaky gut and the Hashimoto's It would be the same for any mom that was experiencing, you know, their baby was going through like digestive upsets, like try the food. And Mm -hmm. if you see a link, almost kind of like elimination, I know a lot of moms kind of have to do elimination diets at some point if they feel like their baby is having some digestive reactions to certain foods. But it's like my thinking is just try not to maybe think too much into it and just see what happens, and if you see that there's a link, then that's a food that you kind of mark off your list, and I don't know. I mean, that's my two thoughts, just kind of making it overly simple.
1: Yeah, and because I, there I really are a lot of women that don't have sex. that
2: problem. Right,
1: yeah. And aren't the first few months a little bit more, they're a little bit more sensitive, and then they can kind of handle more later on? So is that is that a thing? I've heard that, but I don't know 100% if that's real.
2: <laughs> oh, you know, I wonder why that would be, like, it makes sense, but is that because the first three months are generally the most stressful for mom? so she's producing more, you know, inflammatory byproducts and antibodies and stuff like that because she's stressed during the first
1: three months? Or, Or you know, like, that that would be interesting to know. And their digestive systems are developing, too, so maybe they're just, like extra sensitive or they're growing and so I imagine that in and of itself might cause some discomfort it might not always even be food it might be yeah. that their intestines are growing and they're figuring out what it means to pass a poop and pass yeah. gas and that's new to them just like you said with the poops when their poop changes it's like in the first month everything is new so maybe they're just yeah. a little bit of like you know figuring all that ish out literally um, Yeah so that's kind totally. of what i do. i'm trying not to stress so much if she has like an especially gassy evening i'm like okay it could be something i ate it could be something that she, she's just developing she's growing or is it, if we try if we beat ourselves up as moms then that like you said produces more stress which could mm-hmm. potentially cause more issues so i'm trying not to get too in my head about the food stuff i'm trying to just eat healthy and see you know go with it so we'll see that's awesome yeah. yeah, but I don't know, that's just my thought. But I know some in some cases it's very clear. It can be super clear. Like I ate thing A and then this is the reaction every single time in that case, I think, you know, then it might be worth taking out. But,
0: yeah, and yeah. I know like poop, <laughs> we talk about poop a lot on this podcast, but it can help you kind of decipher um reactions. Like I know like mucus in the in the poop is like a clear well, it's said to be a, a reaction to you know certain foods or if there's blood in the stool, things like of that nature. I mean, analyzing poop can give you a lot of information,
1: I think, in the early anal, days, Anal <laughs> analyzing poop. You're so what do you Funny. guys think about green poop? Because when I got mastitis, her poop's changed to green the same exact time. And so I've been like racking my brain trying to figure out why. The doctor's like, Don't worry, green poop's fine, but I'm um, you know, it's like starkly different.
2: That's really interesting. I have no idea why that would be, whether it would be from her directly or really just kind of something going on with your breast milk. Yeah, because you know. said you didn't do antibiotics.
0: Yeah, and I know, like a lot of times people will say like green poop is a sign of like too much
1: foremilk, but I mean, how are you? I was out- nursing her a ton. Yeah. Anytime yeah. I- she would take the boob just to try and clear it out, so maybe that's it. Maybe she's getting just a lot of foremilk from the f- extra frequent nursing.
0: Yeah crazy so much that can go into all that stuff hopefully we and when kind you want of to figure
1: everything out it makes
0: right. it so hard right to exactly.
2: Obsess, and then it goes away on its own and you're like yeah. wow I spent
0: all that time and mental yeah. Yeah. effort hopefully we kind of gave Anna Elizabeth a little bit of clarity there but I'll be interested maybe we'll we'll do a little research on the the antibody um stuff and come back in a different yeah. podcast um okay so we had a question about daily eats for like a 12 to 24 month old, but I feel like we actually pretty much covered that pretty well. Um, So we'll go on to Christy G. Bell. Okay. Christy G. Bell. Um, She says, ditto to the food question for a toddler. Um, And we kind of covered a lot of that, but she wants to know specifically, does your daughter snack? She would love to have better options at home for everyday
2: use. Yes, my daughter does snack and it's not good. Well, (laughs) it's not bad, but we do, we do little bars. She thinks snacks are bars. So we do these core meal bars, which are basically oats, raisins, and like a couple other things. I mean, it's, it's basically carbs. She'll do coconut butter, coconut chips, Things like that, and cheese—the goat cheese sticks. Where do you get it the used goat to, cheese sticks from? I'm Whole so... Foods—they actually carry goat okay. cheese sticks, and I've never seen them anywhere else. I'll send you, you have a, a special Whole Foods
1: them. because yeah. we don't have those here. It so. is not a special Whole Foods.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the only thing special about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's been amazing, and I buy them out every time because the expiration date is like way Forever. far out, yeah, so that's helpful. Cheese is a good snack, I think, for a kid. I mean, I know I'm gonna be, get put in paleo jail for saying that, but you know, I try to do something besides fruit, and oftentimes when we do fruit, I'll sprinkle like collagen peptides on top just to add a little bit of protein, um, that type of thing. but and the problem that we're dealing with now is that she loves snack. And she doesn't, so, you know, she just wants to wait for a snack. She wants snack for all different foods. And so far I've had success just being really direct and just, she'll say, can I have a snack? And I'll say, no. <laughs> the end. I don't explain it. I don't coddle her. I'm just like, it's not time for a snack. It's time for head cheese. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that Yeah. I l- love head cheese. Yeah, I do,
0: too. I do, too, I honestly. Um, that lasts for a, a, a while until they become four and, like, ask why for everything. And so then you have to spend all this time explaining things. But I, I'm of the same, uh, with you, Liz, like we do snacks, we have to be careful to limit the amount. So like when bear comes home, comes home from school, he wants a snack. We'll give him one. He'll ask for another snack. And like, it's like that two hours before dinner. And I know he's hungry, but if he eats like a ton of snacks, then he, we have a hard time getting him to finish his dinner and stuff. And that's where
1: yeah.
0: it's like most of our snacks are, we do bars. Like we do oats, like a gluten-free oat bar. We do oat It's not, it's easily found in um, most grocery stores and it's pretty clean. It's like non-GMO and it does have dairy in it. Um, but he does fine with dairy. And so, and we do cheese sticks and we do yogurt. Sometimes it's like whole milk yogurt um, that we add like pretty clean jam or jelly to it to make it like a little sweet. Um sometimes it's goat milk yogurt, sometimes it's coconut milk yogurt. I mean he does fine with all of that stuff. Um, fruit. Sometimes we'll do like gluten free crackers or like corn mm-hmm. like corn tortilla chips or something. Um but we try and limit it. It's hard.
2: It's hard with kids. It's it's hard, but it's just mm-hmm. not that big a deal. Yeah. Like they're going to be fine. As long as they get like some good liver once a week or something right. <laughs> like that, I really, truly think it is so hard to be truly nutrient deficient in today's world. It's just not that big of a problem. You just do the best you can. Right. I
0: agree. Laura, any thoughts? You're not, you don't, you're not at the snacking
1: <laughs> stage, not yet. at the snacking stage, but that's something I'm curious about. Cause I've seen both sides where some moms are like, we eat four meals four times a day. That's it. Period. Um, And I'm kind of like a maybe this is a pick your battle type situation where yeah. if your kid is a snacker and maybe some kids have a bigger appetite and want to eat all the time, and maybe some are okay with that. But to try and like regiment and be like, you must eat at five o'clock, um, I think that can maybe even lead to some disordered eating patterns. Right. At some I point. mean, if you force them to eat when yeah. they're not hungry or don't let them eat when they really are, then they might lose track of their, uh, you know, if it's like every day, all Authentic the time. to like, hunger. Yeah. 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 And I we, love that point.
0: We have to really pay attention to our four year old because like he gets hungry. He's like, a normal person like I get hangry and if I was like starving and someone was telling me no you <laughs> nope. can't have anything to eat right now even though I'm hungry like that would be hard um for me to deal with so I kind of try and put myself in his shoes a little yeah. bit and he's and reading yeah. signals
1: is it like do they just want something sweet because right or are they bored or could they potentially really be hungry that right kind of
0: totally I agree um I'll keep, I'll keep on with the questioning since you got baby. Is that cool? Okay. Um, our burns 24 wants to know about best probiotic to give to a baby. And when would you suggest starting?
2: So the most, most accessible probiotic for us <clears throat> that was affordable and had the strains that we wanted was, uh, Claire labs. And we started that pretty much. Well, I don't know if we started at day one. Maybe we did, um, Oh, but here's another thing. One of the best probiotics you can give your baby is just your nipple. Like, j- baby gets a ton of prebiotics just from, like, suckling, which for some reason is a really weird word to me. <laughs> but just having your Suckle baby your at nipple? your boob. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
1: Anyways,
2: <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, best. Um, even if you are formula feeding, um, you can there are ways to, um, initiate that contact, even if your supply is low. And I know that can be really frustrating and I don't want people to really stress themselves out. Um, but skin to skin is great. These are all really good ways to like share bacteria with the baby. Um, of course, don't do any of that. If you're using like fragranced products, like just ditch all of your, ditch all of your conventional personal care products while you're doing this and make sure dad does too. Um, That's really important. But we use Clare Labs. Um, Corganic has a good infant probiotic. I think it might be missing one strain that I like, and I can't remember offhand. Um, But this is a pretty well-researched area, the types of strains that are good for kids. Um, A lot of folks like to avoid anything cultured with dairy, and the Corganic one is is definitely dairy free, I believe. Um, but most high quality probiotics, like the ones that are at natural grocers in the refrigerated area, uh, if they have something like that's labeled for kids, it's probably got a pretty good, pretty good mix of strains.
0: So, and I, we used Claire lab too, um, pretty early on, but I was told, cause you can like get it on Amazon, but you have to be, someone told me to be careful where you're ordering it from. Cause you want to get it refrigerated. And then if it's shipped warm, that it's basically like ineffective. Is that pretty accurate?
2: I don't, I know there are some companies that say they've developed like heat resistant, um, formulations. I don't know if that applies to clear labs, but we got it through our chiropractor and they keep it right there in a little, um, refrigerator at their office. So that's a really great point. It is a little bit dicey to order probiotics off of Amazon. Um, because you don't know what the um, expiration is or how long it's been sitting there or how it's going to be shipped, especially now, which by the way, I got your chocolate, you guys that you Yay! sent me and I love you so Good. much. That was delicious, it, <laughs> but we've had like 95 degree heat the last three weeks. So it was like a chocolate blob at the bottom oh. of the, but it totally survived. Oh, no. It works fine, but I was worried about the that. Oh, no, it was great. But like, it was just a reminder to me like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This stuff is sitting in, you know, a truck on its way to you. So that's a really, really great point.
0: Okay. Very good. Um, Let's see. Meals for a one-year-old that don't... Okay. So Kay Skinner asks, meals for a one-year-old at daycare that don't require heating. They do avocados, nut butters, fruits, but meats are a challenge.
2: Any ideas? I... I I actually feel like it's okay just to send, like, meat and have it be room temperature for a couple of hours. We've done slices of head cheese. That's probably the – it stays together the best, I think, Mm -hmm. once you slice it off versus the Braunschweiger or the liverwurst from U.S. Wellness Meats. So we've done head cheese. We've done slices of chicken. We've done, um, like, really clean deli turkey. Mm -hmm. Just throw it in the lunchbox with a little cooler or a little ice pack, and I don't really worry too much about it.
0: Right. And people are probably going to hate me for this too, but this is just real life. We have done, we don't do it a lot, but like Costco has these gluten-free chicken nuggets that are, I mean, they're okay. They're not like great, but they're antibiotic free and hormone free and gluten free. And sometimes like, we'll just, I'll heat up a few of those and send them occasionally as kind of like a once a week type thing. Because the thing is at daycare, I was like, all the other kids are getting things. And as kids get older, they see that and they're like, it's hard for them not to have like bars. And we tried to keep our kiddos on whole food, fruits, vegetables, nuts, all that stuff for as long as we possibly could. But the truth of the matter is like, it's hard when they don't have yogurt at daycare or they don't have fruit snacks or whatever. And so not as like a bulk of what they're eating, we would try and find really clean options Mm -hmm. that were like convenience foods. It's like you know, if you don't have a lot of time to spend meal prepping in the kitchen, you know, all that good stuff, I feel, and this is just me, it's okay every now and then
1: to do some of those convenience foods,
0: you know, to make life easier.
1: This might be a silly question because I'm not there yet, but like, what about like uh, a beef, like an Epic bar or like a Paleo Valley uh, beef stick? Are those dangerous or are those fine? Well, I mean, like choking hazard,
0: I okay. think at one year old, if you Depends. oh yeah, not I mean you might if you cut it up small oh, yeah. enough, I think it would be fine. Because um, we're there right now with Camille, and you are pretty be, soft too. Yeah, you'd be surprised at what they can nom on. But it's really like how comfortable you are, are you with your daycare provider. Like, do you feel like yeah they're going to be present there? Like ch- chicharonis, which is actually a snack that we. Um, I forgot to mention, but like chicharronas, cause they're kind of like, they're hard and she likes that, but they like dissolve in their, yeah in their mouth. Um, she will eat that
2: all day long. So Almost yeah, like a cracker. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I kind of like, I kind of wasn't thinking about this being meals for a one-year-old at daycare. And I'm guessing just given that this is a mom, like legitimately the kid is one year old and not like 18 months or right. 19 months or whatever. Um, but that's I didn't think about that. Head cheese is pretty soft, but I mean, have you ever had like um, like beef salad? It's so gross. It's like it's like strained beef. It's, never mind. <laughs> oh. We don't have to go there. There are also some. There's a company that's doing squeeze packs now that are that are paleo approved, Once basically. Once upon a farm,
0: are you talking about who is it? Once upon a farm. They're in the, like the refrigerated.
2: No. This is no. so sad because I actually had a phone call with them. And it has nothing to do with them not being memorable. It has to do with my brain just not working. <laughs> um, but they, I'll, I'll if you if think of it, it, just text us
1: and yeah. then I'll add yeah. this to notes.
2: You can add it, okay? But they're doing like chicken and sweet potato and like tallow and uh, like it's very paleo-friendly little squeeze packs for kids. So cool. that would be convenient too. But I also wanted to say. Um, Laura made such an amazing point earlier about disordered eating. And I think that is a really, really important concept that we kind of glaze over as like real foodie parents, because there is a reality that these kids are going to come up against, um, the world of food as it is not the way we wish it would be. And you have to really think about like, yes, you can be strict. You can say this food is bad for you. We want to make sure you eat this. And, you know, to a degree to have that dialogue is important. But if you are being so strict and so rigid and causing this weird isolation fear of food and you know they're going to go out into public and, oh, I'm not allowed to have that or or whatever, there's a reality that that could lead to some dysfunctional relationships with food down the line. And that's part of the reason why I think it's worthwhile to at the very least, like, I don't know, make some gummies at home. And if the other kids are eating gummy bears, then they have their own little pack of gummies and maybe they don't know the difference or giving them a healthy version of something that the other kids are eating because they well, will come up with no bread. Instead social instead isolation of- is awful yeah. for even yeah. a two-year-old. So yeah.
1: just something and there's to There's so about. many brands now that make things that are so similar to like the, like the regular version, yeah. um, but they are cleaner and the kid won't know the difference and it mm-hmm. probably tastes better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally.
0: Like, and we, I had... I posted like on Instagram, a lunch that I packed for my, my son, um, for daycare and it had a sandwich in it. And she was like, someone responded and they, you know, just kind of, why would you pack him a sandwich? I'm like, okay, it's got like grass fed raw cheese on it. It has gluten-free bread. It's got like chosen foods, mayo and nitrate free deli meat. Like, come on, (laughs) like
1: in the scheme of things, the judgment, it it drives me out of my mind. Yeah, it's bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I was that person. No, yep, I was a while. Too. I was too. But The longer you do this, you start to discover that there's a lot more to it than mm-hmm. just a rigid meal plan.
1: Right. And everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And that was my thing. It's like, I don't have time as much as I wish I did. I don't have time to like cook all this food. And you know he'll eat it, and he'll get it.
1: Yeah, he'll get the nutrients from the cheese and the meat and all the good stuff in there. The good quality mayo, and Mm -hmm. so it's there's bread on the outside as like the vessel, but it's a great way to get him to eat the good stuff. That just makes you want
2: to be like, well, how much benzene is your kid exposed to on a daily basis? Why aren't you controlling that? Like, I don't know. People just
1: like get so stuck on one thing. You can't do. I posted. I did a whole but post But as on long sourdough. as there's no sandwich, we're good. Right. I did a whole post on sourdough because I've been eating a lot of sourdough because it's sitting really well and it's this local baker that use organic local flour. Like, And for me, oh. I know you've talked about this, Liz, but like compared to some gluten-free options where there's a laundry list of ingredients, really high quality sourdough, I think is incredibly nutrient dense, and I did a whole post about why and some research I did, and so I like people just are like unfollowing. <laughs> oh my gosh. it's so like funny. Genius. We could go, we could do a whole another <laughs> podcast on like on paleo world judgment, but
2: we'll <laughs> they'll back. be back. Give them a couple of years, they'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. Okay, now that we got hold on that tangent, good information though. Um, Ashley asks, so both of her kiddos have horrible reflux and food intolerances in their infancy, including milk, milk, soy, and eggs. Um, for her daughter, her son outgrew her his, but her daughter, the second born, has not yet, and hers are a little bit more severe. She says, if big if they have another, is there anything they can do to help prevent this? in the next child, or is it just something that happens?
2: I don't know, man. I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you know the standard stuff, like keep the stress low, sleep as best you can, during manage pregnancy? your sleep environment. Or, what? Are you saying during pregnancy or? Um, yeah, well, and before, in the preconception mm-hmm. period, just getting mom as healthy as possible, and you know that's really hard when you have two kids already. It's hard to do, but, but I don't know. I really don't know that we have some smoking gun that is the the key in the lock for something like this. I think you just do the best you can pre-pregnancy, especially keeping the stress load during pregnancy, because we do know that stress is associated with a couple of different, um, I guess, manifestations during early childhood, um, different conditions. Um, I don't know that it's been officially connected with food allergies or not, but it, it seems plausible. Um, and we also don't know you know, if Ashley's kids were breastfed or if this could be associated with, you know, a different, like an alternative type of feeding, it all kind of depends, but you just do the best you can.
0: Yeah. And actually I know her personally that she, she breastfed, um, breastfeeds both of her kiddos. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like my, my big question with all of that is like, is it, is there some genetic predisposition to that or is it, because, like, bear had reflux, and we never really dealt with any of that. And I ate fairly clean, like, during pregnancy. My stress level was high, though, um, because I'm a stressful person. Was. Not, not as much anymore. But, I mean, that's so interesting that you brought up the stress, though, because I felt like I did everything, quote-unquote, right as far as nutrition leading yeah. up to the delivery. Um, but stress was a factor for
2: sure. Well, stress can um, act on your um, epigenetic expression. So that's another thing that might be tied in there. It could very well be like a genetic predisposition. Absolutely. I don't think we've mapped it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, there might be some insight to be had in genetic testing and some of those interpretive um, programs that you can get. I don't know that it would really get, get you anywhere or give any useful information. Right. Um, and it might actually be more stressful to, have to wade through all of that but we also know that stress acts on our um, genetic expression. So who knows? But, I mean, everybody benefits from stress relief mm-hmm. you know, tactics. So maybe that would be useful. I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Awesome. Stay tuned next week where we will have Liz back on for a follow-up episode where we talk all about skin issues, personal care products, parenting, and discipline. You can find Liz at realfoodliz.com and at realfoodliz on Instagram, where she's most active. And as always, you can connect with Laura at myradicalroots.com and at laura.radicalroots on Instagram and me, Jess, at holdthespacewellness.com and at jess.holdthespace on Instagram. We love to hear your feedback, so please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It really means the world to us.